0: In a moment, we're going to explore paper 136 from the Arantia Book. And that paper is called Concepts of the Expected Messiah. And we're going to draw some conclusions from that that have a lot of application to the modern times, which I'll explain shortly. And it's dedicated to a new reader that has recently stumbled on the Arantia Book. And they were kind enough to reach out because they had stumbled upon my podcast. And being a new reader... Uh, I remember it. If you're a Urantia book reader, you've been reading the book for a long time, you probably remember those first initial days when the Urantia book had such a profound uh, impact. It was was like a kid walking into a room full of candy. So much to enjoy and and so many places to dig in. So we're going to dig in in just a moment to paper 136 here on the Urantia Radio podcast. Welcome back. And, you know, I want to just let you know that in upcoming podcasts, we do have a series of, I think, going to be very wonderful guests. We'll have a lady on who is your ranch Book Reader, has recently published a book about how Jesus sort of transformed religion for women on our planet 2,000 years ago. A lot of things that contemporary uh, religionists often overlook regarding the, uh, the way that Jesus brought the Women's Evangelical core, and we all know about Mary Magdalene, but there were other women who were equally influential in spreading the gospel back uh, in the days when Christ walked the earth. So, Then I think we want to bring on a couple of frequent guests that we brought to the table, particularly to talk about UFOs. As a matter of fact, I, I, I jotted this down, and I'll wet your whistle. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, I was thinking about this last night, and I do think a lot about what's happening in the ufology circle, because there's a lot happening. And the government seems to be really pushing uh, a lot of it, you know, with uh, new, new groups that are studying and releasing video. And it's, it's really sort of jacked up people's curiosity about the uh, ufology and people from other planets visiting us. And I, I have issues with it, and I want to share with you what my issues are. From the perspective of a Urantia book reader, I think it's important to sort of take a look at both sides. And and I want to have on Joel Garbin, who is very immersed. He's been on a couple of ep- episodes. We've talked about ufology and ancient aliens and how they pertain to the Urantia book, because he's knowledgeable in both fields. But uh, what I jotted down was that uh, in my study of the Urantia book, it never mentions extraterrestrials coming from other worlds unless... They are from the spirit and marantia uh, mid-phase dimensions, right? Advanced mortals from other evolutionary planets would most likely, in my opinion, need permission from a system sovereign if they wanted to invade the space of another evolutionary world. Or they would need to get permission from the Most Highs from a Or even the permission of the supervisorial staff of the planetary government of our planet. So as far as I can tell, based on what the Oranta book informs me, is that the only kinds of extraterrestrials that might be able to freely traverse from one planet to another would be the whole uh, the range of Seraphim, all of the descending orders of the suns, the Life Carrier suns, the Melchizedek suns, Veronodondex suns. In other words, there's nothing to suggest that evolutionary will creatures from evolutionary worlds outside of our own would be given access to merely stopping in and possibly causing any negative effect that might have an impact on our our own evolutionary growth. This is akin to the Prime Directive, you know, like from Star Trek, right? Where the universal rule is that each world must be allowed to evolve as naturally as possible and learn from their own experiences. And it is why the Arantia book repeatedly says that they are not allowed to present revelation too far in advance of our own present knowledge. I think that says it two or three times at least. So here we have the Arantia book talking about how sacred it is to leave planets alone and let them have an evolutionary uh, track, albeit from time to time with revelation sort of to uh, enter the bloodstream of human evolution. So the Urantia book, though, uh, I will say this, it does speak, now, is it possible that we could be getting information from other worlds? Well, let's take a look at that. So the Urantia book speaks of circuits by which information or communication is made possible because of energy sources that somehow exist between possibly solar orbs, suns, and they act as conduits of unknown energy, same with black islands and dark, dark matter. Our own technology shows that we have different channels by which information or data is transmitted. You've got the VHF, UHF, high-speed Internet, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, ultra-high frequencies, 5G, etc. These are all different ways by which we use frequency and energy to move digital or even analog information between points of reception. No different from when on the mansion world's we receive messages from the broadcast stations, from Nebadon or Uversa. In short, in short, intergalactic space travel between species of humans is not even inferred in the Orange book. In fact, if we recall from, I think it's paper 67? Let me see if I can find that. It's uh, in part four, 3 of the book, Government on a Neighbor 72, uh, paper 72. And it's entitled... Uh, government on a neighboring planet. And in that section, we are told it is rare for the affairs of one world to be disclosed to another, and that it is highly unusual for the revelators to disclose life on a neighboring world were it not for the fact of the similarity of our spheres. It says that. So the point there is that interplanetary travel uh, seems to be limited to post-mortal human personalities, which leads me to believe that there are no such things as spaceships coming from evolutionary worlds like our own, maybe more advanced, with one exception. I'm willing to make one exception. And I, and I want to hear your comments on this. That's why I'm telling you this. It leads me to believe that there are no such things as UFOs as we would understand it in the traditional sense. Uh, and that any contact that has been made with our species was most likely limited to extra human personalities. Like Gabriel, like the bestowal son, like the time when Calagastia brought the 100 with him, etc., um, etc. Et They're not native to evolutionary worlds. They come from the worlds of Mansonia or certainly the Marantia or uh, Edentia, or Nebadon, or splandon, or somewhere. They're, in other words, they come from highly evolved, advanced, post-mortal status personalities. That's who we are getting visited by. There would most definitely be an exception, however, would be that perhaps a world whose citizens have attained light in life might exist somewhere in our system of 619 worlds, but I believe still, I hold that they would only communicate to us through those circuits that are already established, and not by physical contact. Now somebody has suggested to me that a lot of times we hear about the greys, or we hear about certain kinds, I've heard even about the lizard people, which I really find hard to believe, even though it's, you know, I've heard some fairly convincing evidence, but I've yet to see anything conclusive. And that's where, kind of where I stand. Um, so I know we'll have Joel on to talk about this. I want to talk to him about it and I think we should talk about it. It's a very interesting, um, you know, thing that is certainly popped up in our culture right now. But I also think that we're going through a period of, of our evolutionary progress, uh, where we're grappling with, we're still grappling with the spiritual question. What role, if any, does spirituality have? In our life, and it seems like half the world is has gone completely secularist, and the other half is, is still holding on to their spiritual concepts and their traditions and their beliefs, which is a good thing. But religion is under attack. Christianity is under attack right now. Uh, progressive left in America and Western culture have a deep disdain uh, for religion, and uh, some of us have speculated it 's because when you embrace religion that means you 're basically admitting you 're not a higher power and right now a lot of people uh, want to hang on to power, especially people in positions of authority and they disregard religion, particularly groups that are it uh, it 's amazing how secular Europe has become and and interestingly russia uh, and some of the Baltic states are emerging as uh, deeply Christian. Isn't that interesting? And it does show us, even in China, you know, with I, I've mentioned this a few times, Falun Gong, out of nowhere, ten to hundred million people started re-immersing themselves in religious and philosophical um, belief systems. And the Arantia book and the Revelators say that it's because we're endowed by the Spirit of the Father that such things continue to occur. In fact, the quote is, there is no chance that man will become less religious. It always seeks to assert itself because it's a real substantive uh, form. And we all have that spirit fragment of God in us. Now, some of us have... Figured out how to turn it off. Some of us are spiritually illiterate. Some of us have outgrown our religious faiths. As the person who wrote me a nice email, and and uh, and we're still struggling to try to find the truth. But the danger is, we all know right now, is from uh, materialism. Too much materialism. It has uh, it has fostered a lot of problems right now. Pollution being one of them. Uh, Greed. How it's changed industries that we, we no longer can trust. Um, and it's changed the way that I think materialism and exalted humanism has opened Pandora's box to where people are falling more of a Luciferian concept, which is be your own person and don't don't disregard your uh, cosmic and spiritual obligations and focus on your own self and what makes you happy and I think there's a lot of that going around and it's kind of infected the body politic which is why I want to read from paper 41 <clears throat> or paper 1 it's right after it's right before the uh, when Jesus goes after the baptism and he's going out to, to pray the 40 days and 40 nights that we know biblically <clears throat> and I believe it's 136 and here we go um and they talk about the concepts of the expected Messiah in this particular paper. And it reads, The Concepts of the Expected Messiah, paper 136, chapter 1. The Jews entertained many ideas. The reason I'm reading this is because it really does pertain to the way Christians, many Christians are behaving today. And I want to sh- uh, show some correlations and the lessons that we could learn. The Jews entertained many ideas about the expected deliverer, and each of these different schools of messianic teachings was able to point to statements in the Hebrew scriptures as proof of their contentions. In a general way, the Jews regarded their national history as beginning with Abraham and culminating in the Messiah and the new age of the kingdom of God. In earlier times, they had envisaged this deliverer as the servant of the Lord, then as the Son of Man. While latterly, some even went so far as to refer to the Messiah as the Son of God. But no matter whether he was called the seed of Abraham or the Son of David, all were agreed that he was to be the Messiah, the Anointed One. Thus did the concept evolve from the servants of the Lord to the Son of David, Son of Man, and Son of God. In the days of John and Jesus, the more learned Jews had developed an idea of the coming Messiah as the perfected and representative Israelite, combining in himself as the servant of the Lord and the threefold office of the prophet, priest, and king. The Jews devoutly believed that as Moses had delivered their fathers from Egyptian bondage by miraculous wonders, so would the coming Messiah deliver the Jewish people from Roman domination by even greater miracles of power and marvels of racial triumph the rabbis had uh, gathered together almost 500 passages from the scriptures which notwithstanding their apparent contradictions they averred were prophets of the uh, they averred were prophetic of the coming messiah and amidst all these details of time technique and function they almost completely lost the sight of the personality of the promised Messiah. They were looking for a restoration of Jewish national glory, Israel's temporal exaltation, rather than the salvation of the world. It therefore becomes evident that Jesus of Nazareth could never satisfy this materialistic messianic concept of the Jewish mind. Many of their reputed messianic predictions Had they but viewed these prophetic utterances in a different light, would have very naturally prepared their minds for a recognition of Jesus as the terminator of one age and the inauguration of a new and better dispensation of mercy and salvation for all nations. The Jews had been brought up to believe in the doctrine of the Shekinah, but the repeated symbol of the divine presence, was not to be seen in the temple. They believed that the coming of the Messiah would affect its restoration. They held confusing ideas about racial sin and the supposed evil nature of man. Some taught that Adam's sin had cursed the human race and that the Messiah would remove this curse and restore man to divine favor. Others taught that God, in creating man, had put into his being both good and evil natures, and that when he observed the outworkings of this arrangement, he was greatly disappointed and said, quote, he repented that he had thus made man. And those who taught this believed that the Messiah would would come and establish order to redeem man from this inherent evil nature. The majority of the Jews believed that they continued to languish under Roman rule because of their national sins and because of their half-heartedness of the Gentile proselytes. The Jewish nation uh, had not wholeheartedly repented, therefore did the Messiah delay his coming. There was much talk about repentance, wherefore the mighty and immediate appeal of John's preaching, repent and be baptized for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, was readily received. And the kingdom of heaven could mean only one thing to any devout Jew: the coming of the Messiah. There was one feature of the bestowal of Michael which was utterly foreign to the Jewish conception of the Messiah, and that was the union of the two natures, the human and the divine. The Jews had variously conceived of the Messiah as perfect, as a perfected human, superhuman and even as divine, but they never entertained the concept of the union of the human and the divine, and this was the great stumbling block of Jesus' early disciples. They grasped the human concept of the Messiah as the son of David, uh, as presented by the earlier prophets as the son of man, the superhuman idea of Daniel, and some of the later prophets and even as the Son of God, as depicted by the author of the book of Enoch, and even by certain of his contemporaries. But they had never for one single moment entertained the true concept of the union in one earth personality of the two natures, the human and the divine. The incarnation of the Creator and the form of the creature had not been revealed beforehand. It was revealed only in Jesus' The world knew nothing of such things until the Creator's Son was made flesh and dwelt among the mortals of the realm. So we can extrapolate from that some similarities. For example, if you follow any amount of social media or if you're out and about socially and you're talking among uh, fellow Christians, there is a sense that there's a belief that we are heading towards the, the end of one age and the beginning of another. And many of us are expecting that these are the end times. That somehow the culmination of everything that's wrong with humanity is going to reach a maximum pitch. And then Jesus is going to come down from the clouds and save all of the people who believed in him. And everybody else will perish. And I'm, by the way, guilty of that too. And I think this is what people tend to do. And and we remember... Uh, from what we just read, Jesus could never fulfill the expectations of those people who were looking for signs of wonder, because they wanted a political deliverer. They wanted somebody to come and set the record straight and get rid of all the tyrants, right? They wanted the prophet. They wanted the prince. And then they wanted the divine, all in one. And I think we fall victim of that. It's literally true. We have to work out our own problems. I think the divine revelation that we had was the Urantia book. And that was in 1955 when the book was published. We have their message. It's right here. It explains our history. It explains our destiny. It explains what we have to do. We have to work. Jesus himself said, I'm not coming back till everybody can see me. We may go through two, three hundred years of complete abject moral darkness It could be that things just continue to disintegrate to that point where we're so sick of ourselves that we start actually thinking rightly about things. Once we've embraced every possible fetish, uh, we're going to wake up in the morning and be disgusted with ourselves on a social level or on an individual level. There's a line in the Urantia book where it says, only until man is disgusted with himself will he begin to think about improved ways of, of living. That We have to fix our own problems. We can't keep... Exp- they gave us a great tool. It's going to take a long time before people start to really read and take this book seriously. It, we have Jesus's entire life for anybody from any faith to read. You can extrapolate your own lessons from the Creator's Son and His Seventh bestowal on our world. We have what it's like on a different world world that experienced also an Adamic default and a, and a prince who, gone, who went astray during the early formative years. We're told about our racial differences for the first time. We now know, you know that there were six races, and the, the reason that we have colored races is a good reason. It's a divine reason. Today, people try to stuff it, pretend that the races aren't different, that everybody is the same. And the Arantia book clearly says not all people are endowed with equal abilities. Some are different. Some are not so gifted in some areas. Some are not so gifted in others. But through a coalescing of all forces, when human beings come together, they can move mighty boulders when they work together as a team and in unison. The Arantia book explores all the great religious thoughts of all of the ages. It seems to appear to lean heavy on Christianity, but... Christianity is among the newer religions, and it was actually sponsored by the creator son, who is the most important individual in our universe. So the lesson here that we extrapolate that 2,000 years later, we keep looking for somebody else to solve our problems, and we keep hoping that the Calvary is going to come over the hill at any moment. Well, the Calvary may not come when we want or as we expect. That is, I think, the lesson that we learn is we have to be patient. And we, have, we, as Urantia book readers, are not going to be as successful sharing the Urantia book as much as we're going to be successful at sharing the concepts of the Urantia book. What concepts from the UB are part of this new gospel? The big R realities. Number one, that God the creator and the first source and the center is also a personal creator. He has bestowed himself in everyone. It is this spirit fragment that entitles us to be free will, moral creatures and survive the fetters of mortal existence. Why is this important? Because it is the one truth that keeps people out of the grips of those material overlords who would prefer us to worship them. Number two, life in the universe is not only abundant, but connected. There is a definite plan to life, and we are part of that plan. We are parts to the whole, and we have meaning and purpose. This message is missing from the conversations between the men and women on our planet today. But it is part of the gospel, which is the kingdom of heaven is within you, that through the fatherhood of God, we can enjoy the fellowship of one another on a spiritual level. Number three, once we accept divine citizenship, we are already living the eternal life. Here, now, it begins. And there is no reason a person cannot enjoy the sublime relationship with their creator right now and if people would adopt this philosophy great things could come to our world that is what michael is waiting for and this is the reason i believe that any extraterrestrial contact we are having with anyone is more likely with our spiritual brethren our unseen friends and not the evolved humanoids from other worlds and let me end with this this podcast is growing faster today than two years ago People are looking for something that has substance. And sharing the fifth epical revelation is about as exciting as it can get. We are not speculation. We are studying the actual message given to us through the authority of very advanced personalities, including Gabriel, who has had frequent contact throughout human history, the Most Highs, and referred to in the Arantia book, as well as in Scripture, the Agents of Days, also referred to as having great authority in scripture. And lastly, the authority of Michael, who nothing in his universe happens without his acknowledgement. So those are the words I'll leave you with. Until next time, remember, always reach out to us, your Rancho book radio at gmail.com. And thank you for stopping by the Rancho radio podcast. You're an interesting species, an interesting mix. You're capable of such beautiful dreams and such horrible nightmares. You feel so lost, so cut off, so alone. See, in all our searching, the only thing we've found that makes the emptiness bearable is each other. Now, you go home. This was just the first step. In time, you'll take another. This is the way it's been done for billions of years. Small moves, Ellie. Small moves.